We're heading down the stretch in the ACC regular season. Who will be the biggest threat to Virginia's title hopes? And what can the ACC expect come March? Luke DeCock of the Raleigh News and Observer joins us as we talk about all that and a whole lot more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 104 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper. David and I could not get our travel schedules to line up this week, but fear not. We have an entertaining and informative pinch hitter coming to bat here in a few moments. But we start the show with some breaking news out of Blacksburg, where Virginia Tech football Their quarterback coach, Brad Glenn, has left the program to become the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati. Glenn is going to work for the Bearcats. New coach, Scott Satterfield, the two work together at App State. The Hokies, who before Tuesday were the only ACC team to have not lost a full-time assistant this offseason, also apparently came close to losing receivers coach Fontel Mines to Penn State. For more on that situation, David has a column up now at richmond.com. Check that out. He was in Blacksburg today and also took in the Hokies basketball. Narrow loss to Miami. I'm off to Boston tomorrow, but we would never leave our, our loyal listeners hanging. So we are very happy to have joining us here Luke DeCock, the outstanding sports columnist for the Raleigh News and Observer. And I understand congratulations are in order for your latest APSE victory, uh, column writing, I assume. Yes. Thank you. Uh it's always nice to be recognized, but honestly, it's, um, and I don't say this like out of false modesty or whatever, like we, as a staff, the NNO typically wins a lot of these. And like that, I think that's just, we set a very high bar for ourselves and I just try to live up to that. So I know that Chip Alexander and our staff won in uh, one of the other categories, explanatory, and the others haven't been announced yet. So it's just trying to, trying to keep up with my team here. Uh, as, as Coach K would say, I like, I like my guys. Uh, it, it is a good team. We certainly enjoy all of the work there and, and particularly yours. And of course, along with our, our good friend, Gene Wong of the Washington Post, you're one of my favorite people to get together with on the road during football Ooh. and basketball. You know who we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, but hey, so I, I thought this was a great opportunity. David and I, like I said, our, our travel schedules couldn't line up for this episode. So I said, who, who could we bring in? Who knows the ACC? Who knows me? And who's going to be fun to talk to for 45 minutes? to an hour and you were the first guy I thought of and lo and behold tell me where were you that we kind of had to wait and, and make sure we were good because because you had some other things going on I, I did uh, even though we're not in New Orleans it is uh, still I guess a big deal in Durham so I was at a uh, Mardi Gras parade and uh, and yes Mike before you ask I did get some beads so uh, it was it was semi-legit and uh, and we had a good time and I did get some beads and I wore green and purple so oh, sounds awesome. Have you done? Cause I I've done uh Mardi Gras in new Orleans a couple times. It's uh the first time I did it. I absolutely loved it. The second time I started to think to myself, this might be too much uh, for me being down on bourbon street for all that. Have you, have you done the show there down in new Orleans? I have not. And, and nor have I been to carnival in, in Rio, although I was, they did some sort of carnival type stuff when I was there for the Olympics. And, and um, but no, I, I would just say that new Orleans on any Tuesday, not Fat Tuesday is probably too much for me these days in my advancing years. I certainly have uh, spent my share of time in New Orleans over the years as, as a younger man buying, uh, you know, the, the plastic hand grenade drinks and as an older man eating very well um, in, in some very nice restaurants. I, I, I don't know how older I am. I will say this. 
I have found the Harris Casino in New Orleans, and if Roy Williams is listening, he I'm sure he'll agree to be one of the friendliest casinos uh, in terms of uh, of of uh, win rate. I've, I've done very well there, so that's paid for my eating and drinking in New Orleans over the years. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. My very first uh, trip to New Orleans, I was stretching the budget, shall we say, but I, I didn't want to miss it, and uh, I paid for the trip off largely winnings from from the casino. Uh, and my friends would always say, hey, we're going to go to dinner here. Are you coming? I said, well, let me let me see how this afternoon goes. And uh, <laughs> it went well enough, enough times that I also ate well. But yeah, have since been back. The, the one I really want to do, have you ever been there for Jazz Fest? No, I, you know, that came up tonight as well. I've never been there for Mardi Gras, never been there for Jazz Fest. Um, I've been there for, you know, NCAA tournament, uh, football, basketball, um, boys weekend type trip, uh, which was a complete disaster. Uh, I, I will say this as, as long as we're on the subject of Harris, and I, I guess this is technically sports related because I was there for the NCAA tournament in 2010. I was there with John Wall, who's from Raleigh, um, when Kentucky was there for the first and second rounds, and then Wake got sent there too. So I ended up doing twice as much work as I expected. But there was one night where, oh, me and, and you know, it's, it's, you know, this as well as anybody and, and listeners will know this from probably similar experiences in their life, summer camps or, you know, youth in government or whatever. You, you, in the NCAA tournament, you, you sometimes just get thrown together with instant friends. Um, you know, the, like in this case, it was like a, a TV guy from Raleigh who I hadn't spent much time with and like the News 14 sports guy in Austin because Texas was there. And we ended up playing blackjack to like three in the morning and the table's covered with chips. And I'm really, I'm really excited. And I wake up the next morning to, to, you know, we celebrated a little bit and I wake up the next morning to go over my winnings. And I just have the $500 I started with. And I spent the next two days berating myself for over imbibing and giving it all back, which like, I'm not going to lie. That's happened before in Vegas. You know, you go on a heater and, and then you, you play it too long and, Oh, I was I was just furious with myself, and my deal with my wife is all she gets all of my gambling winnings. Um, you know that's that's the deal. Um, so I get home and I I am like you know I I'll be honest with you I went on this incredible streak and I was just like doubling down on everything and splitting fours and winning and all this kind of nonsense. And I I you know I just I gave it all back. I start unpacking and everything I unpack from the bag has like. $200 bills stuffed in it. Like I bought, I opened up a coffee mug that I bought as a gift at Cafe Du Monde and there's like $500 bills in a circle in the middle of it. So I had taken all of these winnings from, from the, and, and in my somewhat uh, clouded state that evening, hid them from myself in the lining of my suitcase and dirty socks. And as I'm unpacking, it's like a, it's like someone did a drug deal in, in the house. So anyway, that's my, that's my, one of my favorite New Orleans stories. I'm sure other people have better, um, I did not gamble at all, I don't think, during the Final Four last year because I was so dead-ass tired, I could barely get out of the hotel room. Yeah, that was, that was a long run for you, but uh, it, it's interesting what we do in our semi-conscious states to kind of defend ourselves from ourselves. So I've, I, I'll, I'll bring this back to basketball the best way I know how. In 2012, during the NCAA tournament in St. Louis, State and Carolina were both in the regional in St. Louis with Kansas and Ohio. John Gross's Ohio team. That was a, a mirage that actually happened. And I we went to the casino one night. And I can say this now because he's no longer in the media. Mark Armstrong, formerly of WTVD in Raleigh, uh, was so drunk they wouldn't let him into the casino. Do you know how drunk you have to be to not be admitted into a casino? 
Uh, so, uh, but I went in and I, I, I sidled up at a craps table and I ended up playing craps for about, I don't know, half hour, hour with Roy Williams and his assistant coaches. Well, Roy Williams, to bring it back to basketball, to bring it back to basketball, coached the North Carolina Tar Heels. They're now coached by Hubert Davis. And one of the main reasons we brought you on, not that it wasn't also to talk about gambling and traveling, because those are two of our favorite topics, but we do want to get into the Tar Heels and, and Luke, we went into this year, at least I say we, nationally, the idea was that this was the number one team in the country. They had had that fabulous run in March that kind of redeemed a disappointing regular season. They made it all the way to the title game. They had a lead there. They brought basically everybody back. Armando Baycott, uh, you know, Richmond guy and everything he's been able to do. So tell me, what has gone wrong? Because I don't think it's too hard to say that at 16 and 11 and 8 and 8, this has been very disappointing. Extremely disappointing. I mean, they, they're, they're already, I think, the first, I'm going to get this wrong, but like the, the one, of, one of the first preseason number ones ever to lose double-digit losses um, and, you know, to have double-digit losses, to lose double-digit games. Um, and at risk, really right now, I, I at very strong risk of winning, of, of, of missing the tournament. Although Ken Palm has them winning out, which would get them to 2011 with wins over Duke and Virginia. I think that would get them in. Um, but they haven't always performed up to sort of Kempom expectations. I, I think the thing about North Carolina that you can say with the benefit of hindsight is that the team that North Carolina was until last February 16th or so is the team that it really is, that that's the true North Carolina. And what happened is you had a six-week period, a seven-week period, where Brady Manick and Caleb Love and R.J. Davis got hot all roughly at the same time. And they're all really good shooters, all three of those guys. And and Armando Baycott is Armando Baycott. I mean, he's as you know, he's as regular as as uh, as uh, well, I can't say that, but he's you know extremely reliable. And it all came together for them: the win over Duke into the ACC tournament. Although that didn't go particularly well, right. people kind of think that it was all everything went swimmingly after they lost to Pitt at home, which you know is not like losing at home to Pitt this year. It was. You know, last year it was a disaster. Uh, they did not play terrific in Brooklyn, but then they got into the NCAA tournament. They had some narrow escapes and, you know, the narrow escape over Baylor. And then, um, you know, they, they catch a break by playing St. Peter's in the regional final instead of a different team. Uh, and then they beat Duke again in New Orleans. And I think what happens is all of their issues kind of glo- got glossed over because of they just they were on a bend. You know, they were on a bender. They're on a heater. They got, they got hot at the right time. And if you look at the history of this team over a three-year period of this core, that's not who they were. You know, who they are, I think we can say now, based on this season and most of last season and all of the season before, is the team that drove Roy Williams out of coaching. <laughs> the inconsistent, uh, streaky, uh, questionable chemistry, uh, unquestionably talented, uh, maybe not particularly motivated at times, especially this year and maybe parts of last year. Uh, you know, Hubert talked last year about, I didn't think I'd have to coach effort. Um, that just kind of had a good month and a half and has been living off that. Now, that said, there is no question this team has the raw talent to be the team it was last March and April. Uh, the, the, the talent is there. But for the it, this entire three-year period, they've never been able to put that together on a consistent basis. And if they'd done it last January instead of last March, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. We'd be having a conversation about what will it take to get North Carolina over the hump. And and I, and 
even so, I really do believe that the recruits Hubert Davis has coming in, when this core clears out, for whatever reason, whether it's chemistry or the, the pieces don't fit on the court, or they're extremely talented but extremely inconsistent, for whatever reason, this mix doesn't work. Uh, at least it's not it's it's a lot less than the sum of its parts. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when these guys are gone and they're Hubert's recruits. Because people have to remember, this is still the group that ran Roy Williams out of coaching. He basically <laughs> said, I can't, I don't know how to reach these players. Literally, you know, almost verbatim said that. Uh, could not motivate them, could not get them to play the way he wanted them to play, could not get them to play together. And Hubert did for a period of time last year. And then for most of the season, it's it's sort of been, you know, normal service resumes. And so... You know, I, I think this is just a team that, when you look at the big picture, is very talented, probably has a number of NBA players on the roster, um, but has never, over the course of three years, on a consistent or long-term basis, figured out how to play with each other in a way that that's successful. And losing Brady Manick, who's, you know, as a stretch four, opened up so much space for Baycott, opened up so much space for Love and Davis, uh, losing him and replacing him with Pete Nance, who's a nice kid and a, and, a, and a decent player, but cannot shoot in any way like Manic, um, and struggles at, at some of the basic things that North Carolina tries to do. Uh, you know, it, it does not have the same mix of talent they had last year. So anyway, just to kind of look at look at it in the big picture, this is this the team that lost NC State, the team that lost narrowly to Miami, uh, the team that smoked Clemson. Uh, this is who North Carolina is. It's it's an erratic, talented, but erratic group that you can't count on, but that can beat anybody. You take that mix into March, whether it's in Greensboro or in the NCAA tournament, that's pretty potent, but there are absolutely no guarantees. And and I, the thing that sticks with me is over the course of his entire career at Kansas, at Carolina, the one thing you could count on, the, the thing you could set your watch by. Roy Williams had never lost a first round NCAA tournament game until this group lost to Wisconsin at Purdue in 2021. If you if you can beat that kind of history, who knows? And I think that's that's just what you come back to with this group. So your your thesis then is that the group that made the run in the postseason, that was overachieving. They're more like what we saw in the regular season. But you mentioned there is a ton of talent. Armando Baycott, I mean, he is as tough a, a physical post matchup uh, as, there, as there is, certainly in the ACC, maybe in the country. Um, and he's a double-double machine. Caleb Love, when he's engaged, and I understand that he doesn't always seem engaged. I understand that sometimes his shot selection uh, is questionable, to say the least, and that at best, maybe he's like the Iverson volume shooter type guy. But and Caleb Love, when he's on, can be a dominant player. They have talent. They have pieces. Hubert got them to play hard in that stretch. So is it fair to say that you can't go writing these guys off just yet? No, hundred percent. I mean, everything you just said is true. And the thing about last March was it wasn't like, I don't think they overachieved. I think that's when they reached their potential. Um, that's, that's what this team was always supposed to be. RJ Davis is a, a sort of combo guard, but a really effective point guard who can score. And Caleb Love is a guy who's not just a jump shooter, and this is what happens when he gets himself in trouble, is he he, be, he becomes a jump shooter, but someone who can shot fake, put the ball on the floor, and drive and score or drive and dish. And then Baycott, who's just a tremendous player. You know, every coach that I talked to last year in Brooklyn said that they thought he should have been player of the year, not Alondis Williams, which I 
I thought Alonis Williams was the, the best player in the league, had the best season. But every one of the coaches I talked to said, look, I get what you're saying. When we play Wake Forest, I don't have to game plan for Alondis Williams. We can we can guard Alondis Williams. He's going to get his points, but we can guard him. I have to come up with a plan for Armando Baycott, or we're going to get run. You know, and that's why he was. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I don't get a vote anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but I, that makes a lot. Of, I can understand why the coaches all voted for Baycott. Um, but I think what you saw last spring was this is what North Carolina should be, and could have been all along. And that's why they were preseason number one. Okay, now they've figured it out. Now they've got it down. Now they're listening. Now they're playing the right way. Now they're playing with each other. And I wouldn't say from the start this season, they got off to a decent enough start. But once they got to Thanksgiving and got out to Portland, you know, everything kind of started to go back to the way it was last year. And they've fought that battle ever since. So, I, you know, I, I, I just feel like, Anyone who says they overachieved in March, I would disagree with. I feel like they sort of unlocked the full potential of the battle station last March and April, and they just haven't otherwise since. And and I don't know why. If I did, like, you know, as Roy would say, guys, if I knew, I would already fixed it. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, this collection of pieces does not fit together into a whole very often. Sometimes it does, like it did in the NCAA tournament last year, uh, like it did against Duke and Cameron last year in a, in a game that you know Duke had absolutely no excuse for for not just losing, but but getting beat. Mm. Got they got beat um, in in a game, and, and some of that was the pressure on Duke and those players not being able to handle it. But um, you know, certainly North Carolina has an extremely high ceiling. It just tends to play at a, a much lower altitude. So, and granted, I understand North Carolina's got Notre Dame on Wednesday, uh, Virginia, I'll be up in Boston for, for a game with Boston College. Uh, those games are what they are. Certainly, if, if these teams want to do things with their season, they're the kind of games they need to take care of. But I'm looking ahead, and coaches, cover your ears right, but I'm going to look ahead. We're looking ahead to Saturday, which I think has a chance to be a really good ball game. Uh, Virginia goes to Chapel Hill to play Carolina. It's a rematch of a game earlier in this season, a game Virginia won 65-58. Um, they had not yet gone to this smaller lineup um, so they weren't spreading the floor quite the same way. But what do you take in terms of where is Carolina versus where it was uh, back at that game, uh, January 10th, I think it was, uh, versus where are they now? And how do these teams match up? Well, one, I, I think North Carolina, that was actually in the middle of a decent stretch for North Carolina. Um, they didn't play a lot of good teams, but they beat State in there and they beat Wake. And uh, the other thing I would say is Notre Dame, despite its record and its you know, sort of ranking in Kempom, which is not good. Um, they played a lot of close games. Uh, they they nearly beat Duke the other night, which would have been something with, you know, Mike Krzyzewski had come back for the first time since retiring, and they lost to a bad Notre Dame team. Uh, you know, Notre Dame can shoot and has the potential to, to be. So would I be shocked at all if, if UNC lost to Notre Dame? No. Um, I mean, obviously, UNC is pretty heavily favored. Um, but the thing about the Virginia game for me, and this extends to the Duke game a week later, if North Carolina wants to make the NCAA tournament, it's got to win. Well, first of all, it's got to beat Notre Dame and Florida State. There's no margin no margin for error there. But it's got to beat either Virginia or Duke. And, and given the way everything else is going nationally, probably both. So uh, to me, this is, this is the must win of must wins. And I don't know, this may not be the best Virginia team. I think it's good. I think it's a good Virginia team. 
but I would not want to look at Virginia as this is the team I have to beat to get into the NCAA tournament. Like, give me Pitt. You know, I'd ra- I'd rather feel that way about Duke because you know Duke can go cold. Um, you you know you know I'd rather feel that way about Miami because you know if things go right, you can pound the ball inside against Miami and you can get their 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 big men in foul trouble with, without Sam Wardenberg there um, this year. So that would concern me if I'm UNC. The the team I don't want as a must win is Virginia. And and look like. I think Carolina actually played okay against NC State. There was a point in that game with about five minutes to go where the game was on the line. Carolina had been up, I think, five, maybe six. NC State came back, tied it up. Game's in the balance. Who really wants it? And State just kind of stepped on their throat. Jarkel Joyner had a couple big shots, hits a three, building goes nuts. Carolina calls timeout. They come back out. And like two possessions later, State throws a Terquavian Smith to Jarkel Joyner alley-oop, and the, the building goes insane. And it was just like watching Carolina fold. Um, and Hubert Davis talked after that game about Bible verses and faith. And I'm just sitting there thinking, how can you say that about a team that just appears from the outside to just be irreparably broken? They just, the Tariels just look broken. So to fix that, they got to beat Notre Dame, and they they absolutely have to beat Virginia. That's you know, and it, it's in Chapel Hill. They've actually played reasonably well in Chapel Hill this year. Their losses in Chapel Hill have been to, to pretty to to good teams, to pretty good teams. Uh, but man, I would not want to be in a position where my season depends on beating Virginia in in under any circumstance. Now it's interesting because in the first meeting, if you remember, Ar- Armando Baker only played like a minute, a minute fifteen, minute twenty, something, like that, and he had the ankle injury and he came out. Now Virginia, <laughs> if you had asked me a month ago. How does Virginia match up with Carolina? I'd say they have no answer for Armando Baycott because at that point, Caden Shedrick wasn't playing. He was completely on the bench. He played zero minutes when they went on the road and lost to Virginia Tech. I would have thought there is no answer for Armando Baycott. Nobody really has an answer. I thought it was funny on on Monday I asked Kevin Keatson about defending him. And, you know, Armando had a double-double against State. And Kevin felt like, hey, we did a pretty awesome job taking Armando Baycott out of things because that's how good and reliable he is. Caden Shedrick is back. He's playing good minutes. We saw it uh, against DJ Burns when he was able to move him out of the paint and really deny him the ball until uh, DJ was out in a spot where he was not much of a threat. Um, then we saw it again in the Duke game. Uh, so Caden Shedrick is back to being a functional rim protector and post defender. Armando Baycott will play more than a minute 19 in this game. How does Virginia and the pack line match up with what we assume Carolina will get from Baycott? I, you know, I, what I've seen from teams against Carolina this year is they basically said, and State doubled a little bit uh, at times on, on Saturday, but most people have just said, hey, look, we're going to use our big bodies on you. We're going to use all of their fouls, and we're going to make make him beat us because we'd rather him beat us with twos than, you know, have double him and have him dish it to Davis and Love and Leaky Black and Puff Johnson and Pete Nance and, and whoever's on the perimeter. So, I actually think Virginia, the way they play, um, and you know, sort of the, the the Tony Bennett sort of rule on doubling, you're you're gonna you're gonna do what you do, and he's gonna get his points, but you're gonna find ways to restrict them one from getting out in transition, which NC State did a terrific job. State only had one turnover. Carolina never got the break going, let alone the secondary break. Virginia obviously historically has been very good at that sort of thing. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I think you, we've reached the point with this Carolina team where you're like, you know, let Baycott be Baycott. He's going to get 
his points. But if we can keep him to 16 and 11 instead of 23 and 15, we're probably going to win because that puts the onus on the rest of their roster to score. And you just never know what you're going to get with those guys. I think Virginia with their personnel and their, you know, philosophies and all those things is in a very good position to say, we're just going to kind of let Shedrick or whoever go man on man with Baycott. And if we lose that battle, we'll win the other four. And I think Virginia is going to feel pretty good about that. It'll be interesting to see because I think I think you're right. Shedrick will be in that picture. Ben Vanderplas, who they've been unafraid to play as essentially the center of the five men at times. I think he'll be in that spot at times. Francisco Cafaro, who's disappeared the last few games. Uh, we may see his return because you mentioned you throw a bunch of guys, you get you bang Baycott around, foul him a bunch, and you know with three of them you got more fouls to give them with two. Um, it'll be interesting. I think one of the things that I've noticed watching Armando this year, he seems like he's really developed. A, 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 not that he wasn't a good passer before, but a comfort level with knowing where guys are, knowing when to pass out of a double team or a post trap, uh, kind of knowing where guys are going to be on the floor. So I think another key for Virginia is going to be, hey, if you're going to post trap, if you're going to double uh, Baycott at all, or if you're just going to trust somebody to, to muscle him up and man him up and keep him away from you know that really low block where he can really go to work, the question is, can you get in those passing lanes? And to me, that is what this Virginia defense is built on, right? You got Beekman, you got Franklin, you got Clark, you got guys who've got long arms are going to be in the passing lane. So, yeah, Baycott may get 16 and 12, 16 and 14, whatever it is. If he's got six or seven assists, I think that's going to be a real problem if you're Virginia. Yeah, I also think, you know, if I'm an opposing coach, I'm going to I'm going to say, look, if, if, if Carolina wants to beat us with jump shots, fine. We're, that's that that's that's a that we'll take the Pepsi challenge there because they can. But if they're going to beat us that way, they're probably going to beat us that way, no matter how we guard them. And the other thing I look at Virginia, especially when I go back to the the, the very controversial Duke game, um, you know, I know Ryan Dunn isn't bulky, but I think he's another guy that they can use on Baycott because, you know, uh, some of state's big men who aren't DJ Burns, Ernest Ross, Greg Gant, um, Ebenezer Nuwana, um, are just kind of long and lanky and they're stout, but they're long and lanky. And if you could just kind of get your arms up and make him make a move, you've got a chance to to make him miss and then get a rebound. I mean, look, it, none, none of this stuff is going to work very well against Armando Baycott because he's an incredible player. And at this level, he's he's pretty much unstoppable. But I do think you can do things that can can slow him down without letting everyone else beat you. And, you know, I, if you can keep him to 16, 18 points and you keep him to 10, 12 rebounds, even even if he has six or seven assists, I think I think you're still going to be OK. If he's got, you know, 28 and 18, you're probably playing your seventh big man because the other six have fouled out. <laughs> Luke, you're going to be getting fan mail from the Virginia fans because they are beating the drum for more playing time for Ryan Dunn. Uh, and, and, you know, Tony Bennett's rotation is his rotation. And he, he's at an eight-man rotation now. Dunn's part of that. Isaac McNeely, another freshman, is part of that. Shedrick's a part of that. That's been it lately. But um, everybody in Charlottesville has been clamoring for more minutes from Dunn. He makes those high-impact plays, right? Like he's the the stick back, put back a miss and dunk it and block shot from behind. He's, he's had those highlight reel-type plays uh, so yeah, you're, you expect some fan mail because people are going to love that well, you you also lobby for more minutes for Ryan Dunn. I'm just I'm just a message board poster at heart. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, to be fair, my my Virginia viewing is very limited. Um, and you know, the 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 one Virginia game 
I think the one Virginia game I've seen in person this year. I might have seen I might have seen Virginia play down here, although I don't remember a hundred percent. Yeah, I might have had the Carolina game actually. Uh, but the one Virginia game I saw in Charlottesville this year against Houston, I don't think Dunn played at all. Um, that was obviously early in the season before he sort of gotten some playing time. Um, but may- maybe he was in for a couple minutes. But that was obviously at, at the time a very different rotation for Virginia. And, yeah. You know, looking back now, if he'd been ready, you know, given the way that Houston was able to score the ball inside. Um, you know, that especially, you know, and Houston's got like those six, nine, six, 10, six, yeah. like how like nine of them, six, nine, six, 10, six, 11 guys who are like 175 pounds, but they score over you or they hook shots or they f- hit fadeaway jumpers from the free throw line. Like, I mean, he, I, Houston's still the, like the best team I've seen all year in person. I'm a, I'm a big, big Houston fan. I will be picking Houston when I, when I finish last in every pool and everyone says, <laughs> oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I will, I will have picked Houston to win. So maybe I'll at least get that right. But, uh, you know, obviously Dunn wasn't a factor then. And, but just based on very limited viewing, I feel like that's the kind of guy who you can use in a sort of barrage against Baycott to kind of slow him down a hair. I, yeah. I feel like it's the longer guys who give him more trouble than the, than the bigger guys, DJ Burns being the exception. Yeah, no doubt. And it makes a lot of sense. And like I said, Dunn, Dunn's had an impact certainly on both ends, but he does have that that ability on the defensive end, challenge shots. And then, as I mentioned, with those long arms kind of disrupt the passing when you're trying to, especially if they bring him as the guy on the post trap, the second guy trying to pass around him can be uh, very difficult. Well, Houston, I, I think I'm with you on, on Houston in, in terms of you looking at nationally. Where are you at in terms of looking at the ACC? Because right now you've got Virginia uh, sitting in first place just narrowly ahead of Miami. Miami does own a head-to-head victory. You got Pittsburgh right there. I think Clemson, it feels like, starting to fall off a little bit here uh, as the season, regular season at least, winds down. Luke, who do you like going forward to, to win the regular season title? You know, regular season's hard for me because you really do have to look at, see who everyone plays in their last sort of four or or, or two or three or four games, depending on, on where they are on their schedule. Uh, I mean, I, I, I will say this. I think if I were going to pick a, t- a team to win the ACC championship, obviously meaning the tournament, uh, I, I think I, I would take Miami because I think they're, they have leadership, they have experience, and I think they're the most, I wouldn't say most, I think they're the best combination of explosive offense and stout defense. Um, I honestly believe, and God, Lord knows the team that wins the tournament is not going to be one of these now that I say it. I honestly believe there's only four teams that can win in Greensboro. Um, I think it's Virginia, although I have serious questions about who scores for Virginia when it really matters. I think it's Miami, where I have no question, because I know that Wong and Miller and Pack can all score. Uh, Duke, because I still think Duke has an incredibly high ceiling. And NC State, which is the most explosive offensive team in the league. It may not be the best offensive team in the league, but it is the most explosive offensive team in the league in terms of the ability to put up points and spurts and bunches because their guards are so good. And because DJ Burns is such a uh, unicorn in terms of his, his whole sort of package. But I, I, to me, those are the four teams, Virginia, Miami, Duke, and NC state. I, I just don't think the rest of the league is really in the same league with those guys. And like Clemson losing to Louisville, like complain all you want about the net or Ken Palm or whatever. Clemson played a terrible non-conference schedule. It had terrible non-conference losses. It had a couple good home wins. 
I was the least surprised person in the world that they that they were the quote unquote good team that lost to Louisville. I think Clemson's been fraudulent all year, and my guess is they'll have a very short stay in Greensboro. Now they're they're burning you in effigy at, in the Oakland Zoo. Uh, uh, well, well, I I, I will <laughs> say this for Pitt. My, my same same question with Pitt is um, kind of that that offensive thing, but Pitt does have guys who can score. Um, if I were going to pick a fifth team, it would probably be Pitt and. You know they 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 did what NC State did. They brought in older veteran guys and and built them around some some younger guys. Um, I do really like Pitt. I think the problem I have with Pitt is not Pitt's fault. It's just that I wasn't at the game they won in Chapel Hill. Um, I saw them give away a very winnable game at Duke. Um, I, I think that it's just some uh, sort of uh, observation bias with Pitt, but uh, that I don't think they're quite in the same league as those other four. Uh, overall, but I really like what Jeff Capel has done. I really like their mix. Um, they have guys who are really versatile and do a lot of things. I have the same question about Nellie Cummings at Colgate that I have about TJ Burns at Winthrop, and it's how did these guys not score 30 points a game in the Patriot League and the Big South every single night? Because they could do it in the ACC, and I'm thinking, you know, if Dean Smith was the only guy who could keep Michael Jordan under 20 points. Uh, God, I love Matt Langle. I mean, I think he's an incredible coach at Colgate, but how did Nellie Cummings not have 30 a night? Yeah, it's a, it's a different style, I guess, being asked to do different things. But No, uh, it is. We, we always think about that, you know, with, with Mike Young down at Virginia Tech and, and the year he came to the Hokies. If he had stayed at Wofford, he would have had Keve Aluma and Hunter Couture uh, and Storm Murphy on that Wofford team. Uh, I mean, that might have been one of those mid-major with a Yeah, it would have been like Cornell in 2010. It might have been, you know, or, you know, George Mason make make a Final yeah. Four run uh, off of you know all of that veteran talent, but obviously that's not the way things went. And, and Tech fans are very happy that uh, he brought those guys to Blacksburg. Uh, although this year certainly has has not gone their way either. So there's a perception yet again, Luke, because we talked about it in the preseason. The commissioner talked about it. A perception that the ACC isn't as good as some of the other leagues, particularly the other Power Five. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see another league jump ahead of them, depending on what rankings you're looking at. Uh, the coaches bristle at that, right? They say ACC is as good as ever, and just because it's the bottom weighing them down, but it's it's tough to win and tough to win on the road. Uh, are they right, or is the ACC just not as good as it had been for a long stretch? I mean, I think they're right that it's tough to win on the road because nobody's that good. Yeah. Um, no, I look, I, I, there's some of this stuff is, you know, people say, oh, well, the ACC gets better during the year. Well, like, does that mean the Big 12 doesn't? Does that mean the SEC doesn't? You're the only conference that has transfers? Like, where do you think these guys are coming from? Like, it's the outer space? Like, I had a, a, a Twitter thread on this the other day. I, I, I just, like, Jeff Cable's blaming the ACC network for not pumping their tires enough. Jeff, look at the non-conference games your team lost. So here's the number. This is this is I'm going to read one of my own tweets. I hate doing that. In 2017, the ACC got nine bids and won the national title. So throw out BC, which was as usual, sort of historically bad. You can't they skew all the numbers. ACC had 29 non-conference losses. The worst of them, the worst team they lost to, was 118th in Ken Palm. And honestly, the 118th team in Ken Palm is kind of where like a one bid league winner falls. Like that's where you'll see a Colgate or a, a UAB or something. Like like that's not that's not great. You know you're not going to win the ACC at 118, but that's not terrible. So this year, and we'll throw out Louisville again. 
historically bad skews all the numbers. ACC lost 43 non-conference games this year, and 12 of them are worse than 118. So you can take all of the ACC's non-conference losses at the 2017 level, which is 31 of them, and say, okay, if the ACC had lost those 31 games, we wouldn't be having this conversation. It's the 12 that they lost to teams that they have no excuse losing to. It's the volume of bad losses. And look, upsets are going to happen. It's going to happen. It's fine. You can't lose 12 games to teams that wouldn't make the CBI and sit here in February and say people are underrating you because you had your chance to prove it. And I don't care about transfers and turnovers and blah, blah, blah. Nobody had more roster turnover than NC State. And the only team they lost to was Kansas. And they played four top 100 teams. So spare me. I, I, I don't buy any of this. I don't blame the ACC Network. I don't blame Jim Phillips for not promoting the league enough, which in the annals of dumb sports radio takes came from a guy who excels at dumb sports radio takes. It's not Jim Phillips' fault. He can't make someone go beat South Carolina. He can't make someone go beat Maine. Go win the games you're supposed to win. You're the ACC. You're not supposed to lose to Maine ever. Once in a generation, right? You're not supposed to lose to Jacksonville. Duke beat Jacksonville. Great. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to beat all those teams. You go back to 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. You know what everybody's record was coming into conference play? 10 and 1. 9 and 2. 11 and 1. 10 and 2. Clemson. I'll remember all those years Clemson would come into the league. Oh, hey, look, Clemson's won 14 in a row. And then they get their teeth kicked in because they weren't that good. And they didn't play that tough a schedule. But they beat all those crappy teams they played. 2019, NC State got left out of the NCAA tournament because their non-conference schedule strength wasn't good enough. But they beat all those teams and they beat the pants off most of them, which is what the net said, because the net had them at like, I don't know, 32 or something. And the committee overruled its own metric because it decided they didn't play a tough enough schedule, even though we know from science and math that beating a team by 30 is really hard, and you should get credit for that, even if that team sucks. So I, I just I, I, I get that coaches are going to spin. I think the stuff that they're spinning shows just how desperate they are. Win games. It's that simple. No one's asking you to go out and beat Kansas and Baylor and Purdue and Indiana and Michigan State, although Notre Dame did. I'm not sure how in retrospect. Or Gonzaga or whatever. That's, that's not the issue here. You can lose all those games and be fine as long as you play them. You can't lose to the teams that the ACC is losing to. You can't lose to, to the to, I, I, again, you know, Clemson losing to South Carolina is inexcusable. Um, but there's a long list of sort of uh, one-bid conference teams that have wins over ACC teams this year. That just kills you. And people say, oh, well, you can't judge a conference on non-conference play. What about conference play? You know what? Look at Florida State. They absolutely, for legitimate reasons, had one of the worst non-conference seasons in the history of the ACC. They've actually played okay in ACC play, got healthy, got Baba Miller, all those things. And their rating went up. Like, it happens. It's not like they're mired in that spot. But you got to go out and beat those teams. You can't lose to Stetson and then sit here and say we're underrated. It just doesn't work that way. So I realize I'm I'm I, I I'm just tired of that argument. I don't have a lot of time for that argument. Um, I just I, I historically when the ACC has been good, it is one non-conference games, and you can't sit here and say, "Hey, well, we won the Big Ten ACC Challenge this year." Like that's wow. that's <laughs> meaningless. And it doesn't it doesn't matter how many Big Tens you beat teams you beat. If you lose to Stetson, and no offense to Stetson, great win for Stetson. Thrilled for those guys. Covered the Glenn Wilkes Classic once. 
the late Grant Wilkes was a great coach and all that. No, no disrespect to Stetson. Not a game an ACC team should ever be losing, or it should be a huge upset, and it should be a game that we talk about as a huge outlier, not one of 15 games like that the ACC lost. Yeah, it, it is a resume that bad losses are going to always drag you down more than good wins. I'll tell you what's funny, Luke, because you're there in the triangle. You got three teams right there, then you got Wake Forest, and kind of a bigger – I always say this, you get a bigger sample size maybe – of ACC play, we were a little bit blinded to it in Charlottesville, at least, because Virginia beat Baylor, beat Illinois, beat Michigan. Yes, they had the Houston loss uh, at home. Good loss, good yeah, loss, quality loss, and they and they you know they weren't completely outclassed in that game. No, not at all. Now you take that, and and you're sitting here at Virginia, and maybe from Tony Bennett's point of view, thinking, hey, all right, the. We're doing okay. And I think Virginia, yes, you did okay. You did your part. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. When you look around the rest of the league, it, it feels like everybody's to blame. Like uh, almost every team in the ACC, you can point uh, a finger at. I, no, I, I, look, I wouldn't go that far. I, look, Virginia did its part. Miami did its part. Um, Duke did its part. Duke's two non-conference losses were great losses. NC State did its part. But you get into Syracuse, you know, look, like, I'm, Syracuse lost to Colgate. Bryant's a bad St. John's team. Uh, Wake lost to Loyola, Marymount, Clemson, a bad LSU team. Well, Clemson's in conference, but they, they're whatever. Uh, a bad LSU team. Um, and Loyola, Marymount, which Hank Gathers is not walking through that door. Um, you know, Pitt, which is playing really well now, um, has some bad losses to, to teams with big names. Like Michigan, that's not a quad one loss. Virginia Commonwealth, not that good this year. Sorry for the Richmond people. They're okay, but that's not like a – I mean, it's a top 100 loss. I don't know what quad that's going to end up in. Vandy is Vandy. It's not like losing to Kansas. Um, You know, it's just you got to win more of those games. You can lose one. I mean, Virginia Tech's a great example. They haven't had the best ACC season, but their only non-conference loss, Charleston? Charleston's going to – that's a potential second weekend team. And that was on the road. That was – that was at Charleston in their own yeah. invitational. Uh, That's a terrific loss, as good losses go. So you know, and then you get down to the bottom of the league, and you know, I, Georgia Tech beat Florida Tech, but you can never count on that. I just the volume of bad losses. There's a couple teams I think that held up their end of the bargain, including Virginia, as I said, Virginia, Miami, Duke, NC State. Um, but you know, like at one point, North Carolina and Duke were talking about Ohio State being their best win. Ohio State's not going to make the NIT at this point, I don't think. I mean, they've just gone off a cliff. So, you know, it, it's some of its perspective. But again, you, people say, oh, well, you judge everybody in your non-conference. Well, we thought Ohio State was good then. We know they're not good now. So conference play does matter. Um, and maybe Ohio State just got found out in a better conference. Yeah. And, and it, it all, it, that's the thing to me is it all matters, right? You can't just mail in your non-conference and then say, well, I'm going to play well in conference play and think you're okay. And you can't dominate non-conference and then blame your losses in conference play on how good your league is. Uh, you know, it all comes out in the wash at the end, but, yep. the, and at the end means for most people, NCAA tournament, do you make it? Do you not? So right now, as you look at the ACC and I know, if we had Josh Pastner on, he'd probably tell us. He'd probably tell us. 15 That's an teams. NCAA tournament team. Yeah, fifteen. Mike, teams. Mike, Mike, you're a Hall of Famer. You should Hall, be in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fames, court namings, uh, and NCAA tournament bids. Josh, God Josh gives him out like he's going to live to 120. Did you know he, that? He's well. I mean, he's he's earned it with, with all of his goodwill that he puts out into the universe. But uh, <laughs> I I think that 
we certainly know at the top, we certainly know at the bottom what's happening. At the end of the day, when the dust settles, Luke, how many teams do you think are NCAA tournament caliber in the ACC? And then how many do you think are actually going to get a bid this year? I mean, I think there's, I think six are NCAA tournament caliber because I think you have to put North Carolina in that conversation talent wise. You know, when you talk about the quote unquote eye test, uh, but I don't, I, you know, without, without some big wins here, Carolina is not getting in. So I think the number is going to be five. I mean, I think it's pretty clearly Virginia, which will be in Greensboro, I think, uh, which is, you know, great for them. Uh, Duke, obviously, NC State, obviously, um, Miami. Miami and, and Pitt. I mean, I think Pitt's played their way in. I did not think Pitt was an NCAA tournament team a month ago, but I think when you look at their, Resume and their net and and their wins. I think pits in, and then Carolina needs those two big wins, Virginia and Duke, to get in, which is not out of the question. But I, I don't think Clemson, with their non conference schedule and now their loss to Louisville, has any chance. Virginia Tech, I think that ship has sailed. Wake Forest, the ship has sailed. Um, I don't think anyone else really is worth even talking about. I mean, no, we're not really seriously talking about you know Syracuse making the NCAA tournament without winning in Greensboro. So. I mean, it just feels like a five-team league unless North Carolina can can really turn it on and, and force the force the discussion. But but I you know I think Pitt probably is is in at this point. And you know it's funny North Carolina and, and for some of the reasons you already mentioned the net rankings and those metrics still favor them. Um, they, they've got that in their side. Of course, people keep telling me, look at Virginia Tech, look where they are in the net rankings. Okay, well I understand that, but at sixteen and twelve uh, with some of the losses that they've taken, I, I think you're right on on the Hokies. But uh, it certainly will be an interesting year. You mentioned Greensboro. Hopefully, somewhere along the way, uh, we end up traveling in the same spot in the postseason because that's always fun. But if nothing else, my friend, I will see you uh, Saturday. I understand you have a, a spot picked out for us on Saturday night. Yeah, we're going to see. Now, Saturday is a big day because all four of our teams here are, are, are big teams here, I should say, in the triangle play. There's a State at noon, Carolina at six, the Hurricanes at seven, and Duke at eight. And I am going to uh, endeavor to attend all four of those games. Wow. So really, I should follow you and write a story on that because I think that would be a lot of fun. And then we could run that with my column in our separate papers. Yeah, no, it will be a, a wild day. And then, yes, we will we will have a good spot picked out for you and that, that Gene fellow you mentioned earlier. Yeah, he's uh, all right. He's all right, that guy. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And I was looking forward to doing this with you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you uh, filling in here, spending some time with us, bringing your immense ACC knowledge. And of course, your your stories of gambling in New Orleans, which uh, <laughs> I was undoubtedly. Just, I was just thinking, anyone who made it to the end here, we ought to send them some chips because they they just, if anyone who outlasted the intro is is uh, is a worthy a worthy foe. Well, as everyone knows, we like to start with a little small chat, and uh, I thought that was some quality small chat. So thank you again. Thanks for doing this. And it was uh, great having you on. Yeah, this was the uh, Sinatra Selective Podcast. There's no question about it. Well, we went a little different today. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For Luke DeCock, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.